Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, will you follow me once again to Romans chapter 11? And thank you, Miss April, for that uh, song. Hopefully that is all of our testimony and the focus of all of our worship is the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 11, we will be reading today as our text, verses 11 through 24. Romans 11, verses 11 through 24. And the Bible says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you, if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. There were, they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let us pray. Father, we come to you once again thanking you for this opportunity that we have, thanking you for the privilege we have to worship you, to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to bring our petitions and our requests and our praise to you, knowing that you hear our prayers and that you care for us. And Father, this morning as we 
gauge your word. We're asking that you would give us ears to hear, give our minds the ability to comprehend. And may this word become that implanted seed in our inner being that will transform the way we think and the way we live in this world. And as always, Lord, we ask that you would bring glory and honor to your holy name through this weak vessel. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you will remember, we have been in this dialogue with Paul concerning the Jews since chapter 9. And Paul is reminding us that the word of God has not failed, although the masses of ethnic Jews in Paul's day and even to the day have rejected the gospel that Paul has been proclaiming. And so Paul is giving us explanation as to how it is that God's word has not failed and how it is that God is keeping his promises to those patriarchs that he had given so long ago. And so in our dialogue, Paul is going to help us understand one more aspect of how he's going to continue or God's going to continue to maintain his promise to Israel, although the majority of those Israelites seem to have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at this passage today based on three main headings. So first, we'll see God's purpose in Israel's rejection, verses 11 through 15. Then we will look at God's purpose in the rich root and the one olive tree in verses 16 through 18. And then we will see God's purpose in the warning of the Gentiles. So first we come to our first section in verses 11 through 15 where God gives us, or Paul gives us through God, this, uh, or God gives us through Paul, I'll get it right in a minute, uh, this idea of why it is that the Israel seems to have rejected uh, the Messiah. So let's look at those verses and we'll walk our way uh, through this text. So Paul says, I ask, did they stumble? And again, we'll see there's a distinction between this idea of Israel stumbling and their ultimately falling. So Paul says, did they stumble in order that they may fall? And he gives us that familiar negative, that meganoita, where he says, may it never be, God forbid, it is an absurd thing to think that they stumbled, that they may ultimately fall and that God would not be true to his promise. And so he gives us the reason why he can say no to the answer of that question. Look, Uh, Again, in verse 11, rather, this is the reason he says that they have stumbled. Rather, through their trespass, so we know their stumbling is a sin, it's part of their trespass. Look what has happened through the stumbling of Israel. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. And then everybody in our congregation should say, amen, right? Because we are all, unless there's a Jew in here I don't know about, we are all Gentiles. And we say, praise the Lord that salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, we've already learned from Paul, and we've already learned from the Old Testament. If you were with us on Wednesday nights, we see it over and over again in the Psalter, right? This past Wednesday in Psalm 67, we saw that God has always had a view toward the nations. The Old Testament redemptive history was primarily Jewish. But even like in the Psalter, he's always had a view toward bringing redemption to the nations. And we see the smattering of Gentiles along the way, even in the Old Testament, correct? 
When you come to Matthew chapter 1 and you see the lineage of Jesus Christ, guess what? There are some Gentiles sprinkled in that lineage of Jesus Christ. So although Old Testament history, a redemptive history is primarily Jewish, God has always had an eye toward the Gentiles. And in this falling away, if you will, of Israel in the first century and even today, redemptive history has changed because now redemptive history is primarily Gentile in nature with a few Jews along the way that we call Messianic Jews. But there's another reason. Not only did God bring in salvation to the Gentiles through this rebellion, he did it in order to, look at the next phrase, make Israel jealous. Now look, this this has been God's plan we've talked about. Jesus even alludes to this in one of the parables in the New Testament, that God is ultimately uh, going to bring Gentiles into saving faith, and that God ultimately is not through with Israel. But if you remember in the parable where it's in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus uh, talks about this, this master of a house who gives this banquet or throws this banquet, and he goes out and he asks people to come to the banquet and everybody has an excuse, right? I bought some oxen. I got to go prove those oxen. I just got married. I can't come. You know, whatever it was, they all had an excuse. And the master of the house got angry and he tells his servants, hey, go to the highways and to the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. That was a view toward the Gentiles. It's always been in God's plan. Paul's told us from the beginning, the, 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 the gospel came to the Jews first. You remember Romans 1.17? But also to the Greek, all right? So God is fulfilling that in us, and he's ultimately doing that in order that the Jewish people, ethnic, natural Jews, will become jealous and that they will too turn and come to faith in Jesus Christ. So going on in verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, that's just another way to say the Gentile world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, which it does, and praise the Lord again, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, we've got we've to ask ourselves, what does Paul mean by full inclusion? Okay, That's going to be a, an important thing for us to understand. We'll see something very similar to that again in chapter 11, verse 26, when we get there next week, when Paul says, in this way... All of Israel will be saved. So what does Paul mean by that? I think he gives us an insight to what he means by that in our text today. But in the whole of Romans, he's already given us, uh, he's already laid his cards on the table as to what he means by this idea of the full inclusion of Jews and that all Israel will be saved. Let's continue to read and we'll see how that uh, unpacks in just a moment. He says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles. So the you in this passage, you need to understand, is going to be Gentiles. Later on when he's talking, he's still talking to Gentiles when he gets into the idea of those branches that were broken off, those branches that were added. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. And as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, (coughs) I magnify my ministry in order somehow, again, to make my fellow Jews jealous. So the purpose of Israel's rejection is twofold. 
to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And the salvation that comes to the Gentiles is to make Jews jealous so that they in turn would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul helps us understand a little bit about what he means when he says in verse 12, the full inclusion, okay? Because our first thought might be that means all of ethnic Israel is going to be saved. Every ethnic Jew will be saved. Well, what Paul is about to tell us says it can't mean that, okay? Look what he says in the next phrase. And thus, he's making his fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. The the latent idea or theology in that phrase is the doctrine of the remnant, which we've already seen. And Paul has alluded to over and over again in Romans chapter 9, through 11. The idea is when Paul talks about the full inclusion, I think we've already seen it early on. If you, if you remember back in, in Romans 9, chapter 6, verse 9, chapter 6, I'll get out in a minute. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, listen to what the Bible says. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descendant from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, not every, you know, it almost seems like it doesn't make any sense. Not every Jew that's born as a seed of Abraham is a true Jew. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Listen, he goes on. And not all children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. And then he says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, we've already talked about chapter 9, and I don't have time to go back and preach that. You can go find those on our podcast or on on, uh, YouTube, and you can go back and listen to chapter 9. But what was Paul doing? He was saying there has always been a distinction in Israel. Not everyone born of Abraham has always believed the promise of God. That's why he used, he says, hey, not Ishmael, but Isaac. Not, Not Esau, but Jacob. There's always been a distinction. And not, it's never been the understanding of redemptive history that every ethnic Jew would come to faith in Jesus Christ or believe the promise of God. And so also with Gentiles. Not every Gentile is going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the sad reality of redemptive history. So Paul has in mind this idea of a remnant that God has always understood that his fulfillment to the promises to Israel will be satisfied in the saving of a remnant of Jews. Now, it's going to be a big remnant, okay? Going to be a big remnant because we're still in the midst of God saving the remnant of Jews, right? Even till the end of time, when Christ comes again, God is going to constantly be bringing in this remnant of Jews. And now, I'm probably getting ahead of myself in, in our understanding of the text, But there may come a time in the future when more and more Jews come to understand the the nature of Jesus as the Messiah and come to faith in Jesus Christ in mass, right? But it's still under this umbrella of the doctrine of the remnant. And Paul's already told us that, right? You remember, and it's probably in my notes, and I'm just getting ahead of myself, but Paul's already told us that when he talked about uh, Elijah. Remember, Elijah says to God, I am all alone. They killed your prophets. I'm the only one left. And what did God say to Elijah? He says, no, I've saved out. I think it was 7,000. I've saved out 7,000 for myself who haven't bowed the knee to to Baal or Baal. So in that is the doctrine of the remnant. 
God always has a remnant of believing Jews. And so, in this way, through the salvation that's come to the Gentiles, he's making these Jews jealous in order to save some of them. The doctrine of the remnant. That's how God's going to satisfy his promise to the Jews. And I think ultimately that will bear on our understanding of 11, chapter 11, verse 26, when it says that in this way all of Israel will be saved. And we'll talk more about that next week. Now that leads us to the second point, God's purpose in this rich root and one olive tree. And I emphasize the one olive tree because it's very important for us to understand that in this text to see what God, God's plan of redemptive history has always been and what it will ultimately uh, conclu- continue to be. Look, look with me in verse 16 and 17, 16 through 18. We'll read that and then we'll talk about it in just a second. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the holy lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, remember that you he was talking about, Gentiles earlier, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Now, don't miss that. Again, getting ahead of my notes, but don't miss that. What have we just learned? There's one olive tree. And who makes up the branches on that olive tree? Both Jew and Gentile. That's not what I said. That's what we just read, okay? And in verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches, meaning the natural branches, the Jews. If you are, remember, It is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. So two things we need to talk about related to verses 16 through 18. First, we need to look at the Old Testament background. What what does Paul have in mind in the Old Testament when he brings in this image of this olive tree and these branches? And then we'll look at this New Testament development or New Testament understanding that Paul sets forth for us in this text. So what, what is the identity of the olive tree? From the Old Testament, at least. So you can write these verses down. Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. Listen to what the Bible says. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done my many vile deeds? Can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exalt? The Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit, but with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. The Lord of hosts who planted you has decreed a disaster against you because of the evil. And here's where I think we learn what this olive tree represents. It's the olive tree that God has planted the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So Judah and Israel have done evil and God's going to bring judgment on them. But the point of the text in relation to our understanding of where we are in the New Testament is that God is saying that Israel, which included the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, at this point they were divided, that made up this one green olive tree. So there is no doubt in my mind, at least, 
from this passage that Paul would have in mind that Israel represents this olive tree. And I believe the context in chapter 11 in Romans has already borne that out for us because he's named these Jews that are being jealous, are being made jealous by the salvation that's coming to the Gentiles. So this one olive tree represents Israel. Now you can write down Hosea 14, 5, and 6. We won't read that, but Hosea 14, 5, and 6 also has this imagery of the olive associated with Israel. Now, now that I think we understand, or we can clearly see from the Old Testament and from the New Testament context that this olive tree ultimately represents the people of God in the Old Testament context, Israel. Now, what does this root mean, this holy root or this rich root that we see in verse 16? So again, this may be a little bit of reading between the lines, okay? I will admit that, but I am convinced there are two, re- two ways that people look at this. One is that this root represents Christ Jesus, okay? And the other is that this root represents the patriarchs, the promises that God made to Israel's forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? I think that it is ultimately the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that were fulfilled in the person Jesus Christ. You remember the shoot that's going to come from the root of Jesse? Well, look with me uh, at a couple of places in the Old Testament in one place in Romans 9 that I think will help us gain some understanding, at least from the context, uh, that will give us the idea that I think this root can be understood as ultimately promise of God, the, the covenantal promise of God that was made to his people through the patriarchs and that was fulfilled in the person Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 8. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 8. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to you, uh, to your fathers, excuse me, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the land are from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So the Lord talking to Israel, Moses' day, saying, hey, this is the reason I brought you out, because of the promises I made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the reason I'm bringing you to the promised land. It's because of these promises that I've made to them. Then Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your father's, and chose their offspring after them, you above all people as you are this day. So again, it speaks to this promise that God had made to Israel in the patriarchs. I think that's the rich, holy root is the promise of God he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he has been fulfilling through the nation of Israel, which ultimately culminates in the coming of Messiah, Jesus Christ, which ultimately brings salvation to all of the world. Look with me in Romans chapter 9 and verses 4 through 5. Romans 9, 4 to 5. They are Israelites. And again, Paul reminding us about this heritage, this this rich root of Israel. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all 
blessed forever. Amen. And we could camp out on that phrase right there because Paul has just said Jesus is God in the flesh, right? But again, what is Paul saying? I think this is in the context of this dialogue that we're in, in Romans 9 through 11, that in, in 9 verses 4 through 5, he has just validated for me, at least, that this rich root, this, this, this uh, heritage that he's talking about that sustains this olive tree goes all the way back to these promises that God has made to these patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. So, I think it's both and, not either or. It is those promises that were made that ultimately were feel, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is the rich root of this olive tree. And we'll see in a little bit that we are partakers in that rich root as well. So, and, and again, the only other thing that we need to think about, I think, in this text is the natural branches. Who are they? I think the context of this passage has really made it clear for us. The natural branches are ethnic Jews, okay? And the wild branches, we're going to find out, they are Gentiles who are grafted in. So let's go to the New Testament development. I think the ultimate New Testament development that Paul brings to this olive tree is that there's only one olive tree, Why? Because, yeah, he broke off some natural branches, Jews, because of their unbelief. Don't forget that part of it. Why were they broken off? Because they didn't believe. But he also took wild olive shoots, which represent Gentiles, and he grafted them in. He didn't plant a new olive tree. He didn't plant a fig tree. He broke off wild olive branches, Gentiles, and he grafted them into the same old olive tree. So this olive tree in the New Testament idea still represents the people of God, the visible people of God made up of both Jew and Gentile. That's what this text is saying to us. There's one olive tree and it has both Jew and Gentile who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll find out in just a moment, those who do not believe in Christ If they happen to be among the visible people of God, they're in danger of hellfire. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But just let's verify this idea from this New Testament perspective of this one olive tree and this one people of God. Again, going back to our context, Romans chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. Romans 9, 23 to 24. Again, we're in the middle of a sentence, but you can go back and read the entire context. He says, in order to make known the riches of his glory, this is the potter and the clay, right? God had just previously said, I will mercy who I mercy and I will harden whom I harden, right? Coming off the backdrop of that, and who are you, old uh, uh, pot, or who are you, the clay, to tell the potter what to do? This is the backdrop, or that's the, that's the, the background for this sentence that we're in. And he's saying that he's making these vessels of mercy. Listen, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. And here's a sentence that's pertinent to us and the idea of this one olive tree, this one people of God made up of both Jew and Gentile. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. That's God's word. There's one people of God. There's one olive tree that represents the people of God. 
and it has on it branches that are both natural Jews, ethnic Jews, natural branches, and wild olive shoots that represent Gentile. And they all come the same way to be on this olive tree through faith. Romans 11, 4 to 5 and verse 7. Just the immediate context of where we have been today. Romans 11, 4, 5 and then 7. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So that at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. And here's the, here's the kicker. It goes back to this idea of the, the, the doctrine of the remnant. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. The elect of Israel have come to understand the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and believe and remain in this olive tree. Those who do not believe, they are broken off. And then I think the one, the, the passage, uh, again, we're, we're moving out of Romans and going to another Paul's epistles in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, for me, Paul nails down this idea that the Gentiles are now part of this one rich root, part of this one olive tree, and we are partakers in the promises that God has made to his people. Listen to me beginning in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and promises. We were those people who were far off, right? those people who are not a people, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, meaning Jews and Gentiles, And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What's Paul's New Testament development? There's one people of God. There's one olive tree. There has always been one olive tree. And that olive tree contains both Jew and Gentile. And those who believe the promise of God ultimately that is revealed in Jesus Christ are partakers in the rich root of that olive tree. It is by faith in the promise of God, it is by faith in Jesus Christ that you become part of the one people of God. And amen, praise the Lord, that we partake as Gentiles who believe in the rich root, the inheritance that God has promised to his people in Christ Jesus. Now that leads us to the third point, which is God's purpose in warning the Gentiles, verses 19 to 24 in our text today. Then you will say, 
talking to the Gentiles, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Don't miss that part. Why were these branches broken off? Because of unbelief. And he's going to go on and warn these Gentiles, if you don't, if you do not continue in faith. Now, don't misunderstand what he's saying. He's not saying that there's an opportunity for somebody to come to faith and lose that salvation. Hey, if you don't believe that, you should have been here in Sunday school this morning in John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus says that everyone that the Father gives to me will come to me and I will in no wise cast them out. I will raise them in the last day. The reality is, and again, getting ahead of my notes, but the reality is there are wheat among the tares. Let's continue to read. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. There's that idea again, right? The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord. He says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. If he broke, broke off ethnic Jews who did not believe, why do you think he's going to keep Gentiles who do not believe? Not the, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but kindness to, to you, meaning Gentiles who have believed, provided you, can, you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. God has the power to graft them in again. For if they were cut off from what is by nature a wild, or for if you were cut off by what is by nature a wild olive tree and, grant, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? So in other words, if God can take you a Gentile through faith in Christ and graft you into this olive tree because of your faith in Jesus Christ, how much more can he do that for a Jew from whom came Christ himself? Now, a couple of things we need to think about and we will conclude this part of the text today. Natural branches were broken off and they were broken off because of unbelief. Don't forget that. Those who believe, John tells us again to go back to John chapter 3, in Christ Jesus are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already. God has no choice but to break off those branches of unbelief. The other implication of this text in this breaking off of branches because of unbelief I've already alluded to it earlier, is that there are unbelieving people among the visible people of God. And the parable that came to my mind when I was reading this text and preparing for this was the parable that Jesus told about the wheat and the tares. You remember that story? A man got up and he plowed his field and he planted wheat in the field. He went to bed and overnight uh, the enemy came and sowed weeds, the tares, in amongst the wheat. And when they came up, they noticed, hey, there are weeds amongst the wheat. Do we need to tear out these weeds 
uh, and spare the wheat. And the master said, or the owner said, no, let them come up together. And in the harvest, I will tell the reapers to gather up the tares and bind them together to be burnt. And then I will gather the wheat together and put them in my barn. That's the reality to the present day. There's reality in the days of Israel, in the Old Testament covenant, there were Israelites, as Paul has made very clear, they were not true Israelites. Why? Because they had not believed the promise of God. They were circumcised on the outside. They went through all the rituals, but they never had a redeemed heart. It's the same thing is true today as it relates to Gentile believers. There are people who sit on church pews. There are people who are religious but lost. And if they continue in their unbelief, they will be cast into outer darkness. It is through faith in the promise of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the promise of God, that allows you to be grafted into the family of faith. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. And then he talks, that, that's the kindness of God. The kindness of God is that through faith in Christ, he allows us to be part of the children of God, the family of God. What is the severity of God? The severity of God is that he cuts off those who do not believe and casts them into outer darkness. If we go all the way to the end of the Bible, the last book in the Bible, Revelation 20, in Revelation 20, verse 15, when that great gathering of humanity who stand before the great white throne of God the saddest words in all of the Bible. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Only those names, those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life are those who are grafted into this one olive tree, this one people of God. And if your name's not in that book, you will find yourself cut off and cast into outer darkness, into the lake of fire, and suffer the penalty of your sin, the wrath of God for all of eternity. So the question set before you today is how can I be a part of that group that, that understands the kindness of God and not the severity of God? How can I be among that group whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life? As Revelation says in the, the letter to the churches, how can I be among that group that conquers or overcomes? Well, John answered that for us in his epistle, uh, 1 John chapter 5. He says, those who overcome, those who conquer, are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's the question before you today, right? That's the question before all of us today. Do you know for certain that your name's in the book of life? If not, you're in danger of hellfire. And today you need to throw yourself on the mercy of God. One final thing, and then we will, we will conclude. Believers will persevere in faith. You, you remember the phrases that he said in here? He said it of the Gentiles. He, he says, listen, you'll experience the kindness of God up there in verse 22, provided you continue in that kindness. In other words, you continue in your faith. You continue in your belief. And then he said the opposite for the Jews that had been cut off, he says, hey, those who've been cut off, if they don't continue in their unbelief, they can be grafted back in. Now, we don't need to 
We don't need to understand that as meaning that all the Jews in the past who died in their sinfulness, died in their unbelief, will be grafted back in. That's an impossibility. But what he's saying is, those who are alive when Paul wrote this, those who are alive today, although they might not believe in this moment, if they come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ before they die in their sin, that they can be grafted back in. And if you, who claim to be a follower of Christ, apostatize or turn away, that means ultimately you didn't have true faith in the beginning and you will be cast into outer darkness. Just a couple of verses I wanted to read to you to help validate this fact that true believers will persevere to the end, okay? True believers will persevere to the end. Listen to, to the author of Hebrews. This is, a, this is a truth that the Bible says in more than just Romans. Hebrews 3, 6, but, Christian, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. And again, here's this doctrine, this idea of the perseverance of the saints. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What's the implication? Well, the author of Hebrews told us in another, or may not have been author of Hebrews. My mind may have that confused. But the Bible says in another place, and you can go Google it and find it, that they went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't like Friendship Baptist Church, so they went over to First Baptist and they joined there. What it means is they were people who once said, hey, I believe the truth of the gospel, and then they turned away from the truth of the gospel and they abandoned their faith in Jesus Christ. That means they were never really believers to start with because true believers will persevere to the end. Matthew 10, 22, again, this idea of, of the need to persevere. And you will be hated by all uh, for my name's sake. Hey, there's your post-it note. Put it on your, on your mirror and read that every morning. That's a promise of God, okay? Uh, you will be hated for his name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now here to me is, is other than what I mentioned already in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I'll know wise cast them out and I will raise them up. That's it, right? Jesus has already said it. But listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit's our earnest money, right? The implication is, if God reneges on his deal, we still get to keep the Holy Spirit. Well, that's never going to happen. Why? Because if God gives up the Holy Spirit, he's no longer God, right? So this is an absolute guarantee that those who come to faith in Christ will persevere to the end. God will complete in you what he has started. Christ will raise you up in the last day. So, what we have learned today, there's one true people of God that is made up by Jew and Gentile. That's what Paul has told us in our text today. We have seen that there are wheat among the tares and tares among the wheat, whichever way you want to put it. The question before you today, are you a tare or are you a wheat? Are you one who believes or are you just pretending? I don't know your heart, right? But you do. 
Right now, you know the answer to that question. And today, if God has opened your eyes to the truth that you are a tear, that you're an unbeliever, then today, you don't need to leave this place until you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And God has opened the door for you in this moment. You have heard the truth. You're responsible for what you have heard. I can't make you believe. But I'm going to pray hard that God will cause you to believe. (laughs) So let's go to the Lord today in prayer and you be obedient to what God has called you to do today. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this opportunity again to be in your house. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we're asking this morning, Lord, if there's a lost person that is among us, that you will open their eyes to the truth and the reality of their lostness and their need for a Savior, and that you will show them that Jesus is the perfect Savior if they will repent and believe that they will be saved. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, help us to rejoice in the fact that we, even as Gentiles, are part of this one rich, holy root and part of this olive tree, the people of God. You've granted us that opportunity through faith in Jesus Christ and help us to share this truth with the world. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.